For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. May God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. I would maintain that one of the most essential fruits of the gospel is the gift of freedom. And I would also argue that one of the things that is common for those who have a law-based understanding of salvation and the thing that is most difficult for people to realize who are not grounded in the grace of God is an understanding of what that freedom is. And over the years, as we have uh, strived or strove to uh, articulate the content of the gospel message with a Christ-centered focus and a message that is grace-saturated, one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again from many people, not just unbelievers, but from those who were already Christians, the one thing that I hear as they come to a better understanding of the gospel is this common refrain, this is liberating. And that is true. And and I think we, uh, in our natural state, don't understand the liberty that's in the gospel. And because we usually come, uh, in those who who don't come to faith through typically what we would call a a reformed church, we end up trading one form of bondage for another. So it's either the bondage of our fallen nature or the bondage of law-based religion. And so what we end up with is deeper bondage. So what I would argue this this morning is that in this text, what Paul does in this very compact and condensed sort of way is he unpacks one of the most essential gifts of the gospel, which is freedom. Paul says, Christ has set us free. So the first thing that we want to do is consider what does the gospel free us from? Uh, what, what, What does the gospel, if Christ has set us free, then what are we freed from? And Even though there are, I guess you could probably say, a laundry list of things that we could say that we have been set free from, I want to focus on three things that we are set free from as we embrace the gospel of grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the first place, the gospel sets us free from the curse of the law. The gospel sets us free from the curse of the law. In Galatians 3, verse 10, Paul says, For all who rely on works of the law are under the curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is or is everyone who does not abide by all things that are written in the book of the law and do them. So to 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 see what the law requires and not do it, then anyone who understands it and does not do what the law requires of them, they are cursed. So the curse of the law, what is meant by the curse of the law, and we want to make clear on this, that the law itself is not this big boogeyman. It's not that the law tells us something that is bad. The, the curse of the law refers to the penalty 
for not keeping the law. I want to pause there for a moment because sometimes when we say we are under grace and not under law, we act as if the law is a bad thing. And, and so therefore people tend to relish this, this, this rebel and this radical kind of Christianity and human living where all laws be damned as if there is no place for law. No, that's not, he's not saying that you are cursed or that the curse of the law is the essence of the law. The curse of the law is the penalty that's attached to not keeping it. And so everyone who does not keep the substance of what the law requires is under its curse. We are cursed for failing to keep all that God demands in the law because the law itself is simply a revelation of the oughtness of human conduct. That is, it reveals how humans ought to act. And to not do what humans ought to do brings us under a curse. But Paul also says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we are free. The gospel frees us from the curse slash penalty of the law. Because in the gospel, Christ bears the curse slash penalty in our place. Here's the second thing. The gospel sets us free from the bondage of our fallen nature. The gospel sets us free from the bondage of our fallen nature. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, Paul admonishes these uh, Gentile believers who are now believers, he admonishes them to not walk or live like the rest of the Gentiles do. And then he goes on to explain why they do the things they do. He says, because their understanding is darkened. Since, he says, they are alienated from the life of God. And so therefore, all they can do is according to their nature. That's all they can do. All they can do is walk according to their fallen nature. And I would argue also that their fallen nature is reinforced by nurturing. So we are, in our fallen nature, we are prone towards self and away from the law of God and all of that which is inclined away from God is nurtured and reinforced by other fallen people and institutions. But then in verses 22 through 24, Paul says this to the Ephesians. He reminds them that they are no longer bound to their old nature. He, put, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And it is corrupt through, and, and through deceitful desires. And he says, therefore, be renewed, renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new man or the new self that's created after, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The gospel sets us free from the bondage or from the, the curse of the law, but it also sets us free from the bondage of our old nature. Now, 
we've all said this before, and, and especially as you, you know, you grow older and so forth, and you say, well, boy, I'm, I'm gonna, you're going to make me put down my religion. And, and, and what we mean by that is sometimes life can confront us with situations where we will act not according to the faith that we embrace, but we will act according to the flesh. Now, the problem is people oftentimes are living out of their old nature when they think they're living in Christ. In other words, they think they are acting in Christ, but they're actually acting in Adam. And so here's what we have to understand. And, and I know everybody says, well, we all have those boiling points and don't hit my boiling point. But that's us sometimes nurturing the old nature. We are conditioned. We are born in a state of sin. And we are conditioned to react according to our nature. But here's what we find in the gospel. The gospel sets us free from the bondage of our old nature. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to act a fool. You do not have to act according to the impulses of what you were, grew up with, and we all have our neighborhoods going, you know, this, my neighbor, this is how we act over here. But we don't have to do that because we've been set free from the bondage of our fallen nature which means that we don't have to act like the neighborhood. We don't have to act like the tribe. We don't have to act like this pack. We are free from the bondage of our old nature. And I think it's important for us to understand that our nature, our old nature, has a strong grip. And really to be born in trespasses and sins is to be born in slavery. Slaved, enslaved to impulses and desires that are contrary to the law of God. Enslaved to a mindset where you are the most important thing on the face of the earth. And so you are set free from your old nature by virtue of the gospel. But here's the third thing. We're also set free from legal accusations in spite of our flaws and failures. And when I say legal accusations, I don't mean you can go down to the city, you know, city hall and say, well, but I'm a Christian. No, that's not what I mean. I mean in the highest court of the land, and that is the courts of God's holy justice. In the gospel sets us free from any legal accusations that may be brought to God against us in spite of all of our flaws and in spite of all of our failures. In other words, some of the accusations that could be brought against us might indeed be true. But look at what Paul says in Romans 8, verses 33 and 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding. Brothers and sisters, no one can tell God on you. 
That's what we are free from. We are free from accusations. And, and, and this is particularly liberating because, because oftentimes we will see that we don't measure up. And then when someone else see us not measuring up, they'll say, and they claim to be a Christian. And the message of the gospel says, and they are. For three reasons. One, the penalty has already been removed. Secondly, Christ, who, who bore the penalty, has already risen victorious from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And thirdly, his presence at the right hand of the Father is a perpetual intercession on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, those who are in Christ are set free. We are set free from the curse of the law. The law, the penalty of the law doesn't fear, it doesn't frighten us, it doesn't threaten us. Because the curse has already been paid, the penalty has already been paid. We are set free from the bondage of our old nature. And that's why we can put to death the deeds of the flesh. We can mortify the members of our bodies. We can take off the old and continue to put on the new. We can have our minds renewed. And where our neighborhood doesn't think that we should be acting this way and where our peers think that you must be getting soft in the head, we don't have to be conformed to those things. We're no longer bound to those things. We're not bound to what, whatever this group or that group thinks about us. We are set free from that. And not only are we set free from the bondage of our nature, we are set free from accusations. Nobody can run and tell God anything about us that he doesn't already know and that has not already been paid for because the gospel gives us not only a pass, the gospel gives us an interceder, an intercessor, one who is right now at the presence of God interceding on our behalf. And sometimes people think that means he's arguing for us. No, his spotless, wounded body is argument enough. The gospel, Paul says, Christ has set you free. But here's something else that I find interesting you notice, and this is especially in the ESV and certain other translations, you notice the wording, the unusual wording with which this verse opens up. You see, the wording, the peculiar wording is that the verse opens up by saying, for freedom, Christ has set you free. It doesn't just say that we are set free, but we are set free for freedom indicating that we have not only been set free from something, we have been set free for something. And again, let me just offer three things that we have been set free for. We have been set free from the penalty of sin, bondage of our old nature, and we have been set free from accusations against us. But we have been set free, one, we are set free for submission to the will of God. 
we have been set free so that we can submit to the will of God. Paul says this in Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to the law of God. And then he says this, Indeed, it cannot, it cannot, those who are not, uh, or those who are of the flesh cannot Please, God. Think about that for a moment. Those who are in the flesh, in our natural state, even if we try to be law-abiding citizens so that we don't go to jail, we cannot keep or submit to the law of God. And we cannot please God. You might impress others, But in your natural state, you cannot please God. Understand? I mean, that's a a powerful thought. And he says the fallen mind can't do it. It just can't do it. It cannot happen. Think about that. In our natural state, we cannot submit to the will of God. That's the stubbornness of the fallen condition. We will not submit because we are our own masters. And we only submit to what pleases us. We only submit to that which brings us immediate gratification. And not only that, but we cannot please God. Therefore having been set free from the curse and the penalty of the law by the gospel, we are now set free so that we can do what is pleasing to God. Having had the penalty removed, we now look into the law and we see, as Paul describes it in Romans 7, as being that which is holy that which is just, and that which is good. We are now set free to willingly submit to the law of God. Paul tells the Philippians that it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, brothers and sisters, I know people like to look at human behavior and to say, well, how, and say, how can they be a Christian if this, that, or the other? And that's always a mistake. But here's what I, I will go on record as saying. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not desire to please the Lord. Now, you can say whatever else about the others, And there may be inconsistencies and there's going to be conflict. But it it simply does not exist. A person does not exist. There is no Christian who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. who Who has been given new life. Who sees themselves as condemned by a holy God. Who sees that Jesus is the one who has kept the law on their behalf. And has borne the penalty for their sins. There is no such creature who embraces that by faith. 
who does not have an innate desire to please the Lord. You can't please him without the gospel, but it's not possible to embrace the gospel and don't have a desire to please him. We have been set free so that we can consciously and willfully submit to the law and the will of our God and creator. But here's the second thing. Secondly, because we are set free to do the will of God, then that means we are now free to render our bodies, as Paul says in Romans 6.13, he says that we can now render our bodies as instruments of righteousness. We can consciously, and, and, and amazing, look, look at these bodies, look at these flawed bodies. We're talking in the office in the back about, you know, the fact of the fall is all in us, and so we look at our deformed bodies our diseased bodies. We look at our flawed bodies. We look at our bodies that are tainted both physically and spiritually. And yet, these bodies, these bodies that are, 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 are fading away every day, these bodies can be rendered as instruments of righteousness. One of the most hideous things I ever heard come from the mouth of a word faith preacher, and there's a lot of hideous things. But I was watching one time, and one of the brothers got on, and he was, again, trying to claim that you can claim healing in these physical bodies, and he made this observation. Building full of people. He says, you must be able to claim your healings because how can we in our crippled, diseased bodies offer anything that is pleasing to God? And I said, first off, that is absolutely correct in terms of the gospel. But because we've been embraced, because we have, have received the gospel, that's the actual paradox of the, the gospel. That because a spotless body has been accepted in our place, we can now take these flawed, diseased, broken down bodies and render service that is pleasing unto God. It doesn't make sense to the natural mind, and we don't expect it to make sense to the natural mind. In fact, theologically, we are told with the, the lambs that were, were to be slaughtered for the Passover, they were to be of the first year, and they were to be without spot and without blemish. And the reason they were to be without spot and without blemish is because they were physically to portray the spotlessness that God has required of his image bearers. But brothers and sisters, there's only one spotless lamb that has been offered as acceptable to God. And that's Christ. And so the lamb portrayed what we ought to be, but the spotless lamb also portrayed what he was in his flesh, in his thoughts, and in his body. And all of those who look to him by faith, we can now take these failed, flawed, broken bodies, and we can stand boldly, 
in the very presence of God and offer service to him because his righteousness covers us. And so now we are free. I always think of Mephibosheth. You remember the story of Mephibosheth, the son of of, of Saul. And when David ascended to the throne, then the natural order of things for a king is to kill all of the, the living heirs to the throne of the one that you defeated. But David had been friends with Jonathan. And Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And so when he ascended to the throne, he says, is there anyone? And and knowing the rules of the land, the laws of the jungle as it were, the, the caretakers for Mephibosheth, they had taken him and hidden him because he was a political threat physically to David. And Mephibosheth, who was, who was crippled in his legs and his feet and couldn't walk, they took him and they hid him. And when David became king, he says, is there anyone from the household of Saul that I might be able to show grace to? And not only was Mephibosheth a threat to him politically, he was not supposed to come into the presence. Those who were lame and, and disfigured and disabled were not supposed to come into the presence of the king. And David summoned him. And when they found out that Mephibosheth was still living, David sent for him and prepared this great meal and invited this crippled descendant of a rebel king where an enemy king was invited to the house of the conquering king. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we're Mephibosheth. But we can now come into the presence of God. And we can offer our bodies, as Paul says, as living sacrifices unto God because the burning sacrifice or the burnt offering has already been received. We are set free for bodily service to the God who saved us by his grace. But thirdly, in conjunction with that, not only are we free so that we can do the will of God and free so that we can offer our bodies. We don't have to wait until our ship comes in in order to serve the Lord. We don't have to wait for our renewed bodies to serve the Lord. We can serve him now. But thirdly, we have been set free so that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can boldly go into the presence of God. Hebrews 6 says, or Hebrews 5 says that we have entered behind the veil with our our forerunner. We have entered behind the veil. But then in, in Hebrews 4, it says this, that because we have this great high priest who was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, therefore, he says, we can go boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace in our time of need. That's important for us to remember, brothers and sisters, because sometimes the failures of our flesh tell us to draw back instead of drawing near. But because we have 
Listen, we've been set free so that we don't have to clean up in order to draw near. We can draw near in full assurance of hope because we are the recipients of the grace of the one who has entered behind the veil. Brothers and sisters, we are free to stand in the presence of God and to know what David prays for in his psalm of of penitence in Psalms 51. He says, and do not take from me your Holy Spirit. That shall never happen because Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father is there on our behalf and therefore the Father sees us perpetually through him. We have been freed from, and we have been freed for. Well, that brings us to a final thought, and that is something else that Paul sets forth here in the text. He says he gives us a twofold exhortation. And it's here where I want to factor in the communion meal. Gives us a twofold exhortation. And in light of the freedom that Christ has set us free for, and in light of the freedom that he has set of what he has set us free from, Paul admonishes his readers to do two things. Number one, he says, stand fast in it. That freedom, stand in it. Stand firm in it. And then he says, secondly, do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. You've been set free. And so what God does, and I, and I love this, he calls us out of our, of, out of our ordinary being and out of, out of our ordinary doings and brings us into his holy presence so that he can remind us, build us up again in the gospel. A friend of mine used to always say that the gospel is a foreign language to us. We don't, our bodies don't naturally produce it, so it's an outside word that's spoken to us because if we don't get it, then we're going to give in to what is in us and we will give in to what is around us. So God calls us into his holy presence to tell you that you are free. And I would argue this, that the communion meal, it's a freedom meal. Every time we sit down at the table and we eat of the broken body and we drink of the cup, we are reminded that we are free. And here is the, the price of our freedom. Christ has set us free. So this is a freedom meal. And so Paul says, first off, stand in this. Stand in this as opposed to what? Stand firm in the freedom with which you have been set free. And as opposed to what? As opposed to the inclinations of our fallen nature that are always there. And as opposed to the voices that surround us. You see, as we said, that our fallenness has has resonance and nurturing by those who are like us. And so Christ calls us into this holy assembly to speak a word that you're not going to hear from anyone else and anywhere else. That you have been set free. No matter what you think, if you are in Christ, 
The law doesn't accuse you anymore. The law has no more sway over you. It can't threaten you. And no one can run and tell God anything that you've done. And there is nothing that can extract you from his presence. You are free. So stand in your freedom, not in your shame. Stand in your freedom and not in your history of spiritual and emotional slavery and bondage. But then here's something else that he says. Do not be entangled again. So stand in your freedom and don't be entangled again. Now, that's, that's an interesting statement because the implications behind it is that as much as we have been set free, it is easy for us to be entangled again in various bondage, whether it's spiritual or whether it's of the flesh, Sometimes we are in bondage to our predilections and our appetites and our affections to the point of addictions. Sometimes we are in bondage to a way of life. Sometimes we are in bondage to reputation. We are in bondage to the things of the world and don't even know it. I often think of uh, my, my parents. They were nice southern folk, so therefore they loved Andy Griffith's show. And one of the characters on the Andy Griffith show was Otis, who was the town drunk. And Otis would get drunk, and he was so docile, what he would do is he knew he had drank too much, so he would walk into the jailhouse and then open the, do the door and then close it behind him. And then if you were just walking in, you say, oh, they've got another prisoner over there, Otis, you know, he's a regular. But here's the thing that, that I, of the years that I remember watching Otis or watching the, the, uh, the Andy Griffith, is that I never saw Otis arrested. He was never arrested. He just voluntarily went in and voluntarily walked out. I never saw him handcuffed. I never saw him have his Miranda rights read to him. He was not a prisoner. But he was in bondage. And brothers and sisters, so many Christians are like Otis. That we put ourselves in bondage over and over again. Whether it's an appetite, whether it's a, a religious discipline. We put ourselves in bondage and don't stand in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons some evangelicals rededicate themselves a thousand and one times is because they're in bondage. And so here's what I'm saying. God sets before us a freedom meal. To remind you that yes, you were in bondage. You were in bondage to sin. You were in bondage to the flesh. You were in bondage to the curse of the law. And in that state, you could never, ever please God. You could never come before his presence. You could never do what is pleasing to him and honorable to him. 
and you could never render service unto him. But this meal says, you have been set free. And as Jesus says, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. So as we eat, stand in this. And then when we leave, be mindful of the yoke of bondage that seeks to obscure or keep you from realizing how free you are. You are free, brothers and sisters. If you look by faith to Christ, you are free. You are more than your neighborhood. You're more than your income status. You are more than what you look like. You are free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom. Therefore, stand in it and do not be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. Don't volunteer your service from what God has set you free from in Christ Jesus. You're free. And that freedom is irrevocable and irreversible. Let's pray.